Hi and welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution, a podcast about Industry 5.0 and service design. My name is Jacob Magnol and with me I have my co-host David Griffith-Jones. Today we're going to discuss data and how improvements in AI will affect our future work. All music in this episode was created by Vendla. I was thinking, if you would want to answer a question that I have for you. Am I a cyborg yet? Are you, Jacob, a cyborg yet? Yes. No, you're not. Why? Well, for me, um, a cyborg, and I haven't looked, I haven't Googled or looked at the exact definition of what a cyborg is, but for me, the definition of cyborg is when the technology is embedded into the into one thing. So if your phone was embedded into your hand or you had an earpiece that was embedded into your ear, then I think you could argue you're a cyborg. But all the technology, to the best of my knowledge that you have, is not embedded in your body and therefore you're not a cyborg. Okay, so looking at the definition on Wikipedia, I think you're correct. Uh, I would not fall into most science fiction uh, definitions of of being a cyborg. The reason why I'm asking you this question is that yesterday I used a, a software that I'm not going to mention because I don't want to do free advertisement, but it basically enhances my writing capabilities in English quite dramatically. Oh, I, 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 does it begin with G and end in Y? I could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing. Really? It's actually... I, I like to think of myself as a pretty affluent English yeah. speaker and writer, being it being a second language. Uh, but that, I would say it sort of enhances my English to become, I don't think you could tell that I'm not English if you would see something I write using it. What is it just the word selection that it improves or what other parts of the, does it, where else does it add value? Uh, for for me, it helps with punctuation because the rules for punctuation aren't the same in English and Swedish. So it sort of fixes all those mistakes. Mm. And then it helps me just remove a lot of things that make me sound like an infant when I'm writing in English because that's that's bound to happen. My Some of my English is at a 10-year-old level because I've learned something in school and then that's stuck with me and it hasn't evolved naturally. But with this software, that that is all removed. And I was amazed when I looked at it yesterday and I was like, is this a part of me now? Or am I just a consumer? Ethical implications of... Okay, so someone that can't afford to pay for this rather expensive software, they're going to be at a disadvantage from now on out because I can do this and that's going to enrich in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you paying for it? Because like, I'm just looking at the website now and there's different, there's a premium service, isn't there? There is. And I started using the just non-regular, non-paid version. Uh, but because I am writing yeah. so much English now at work, I decided I'm going to try it out uh, for a month, and I'm honestly not going back. Does it integrate with Power with a Microsoft Suite like Word and PowerPoint? It or? could, but I'm not going to let it. Uh, what I do is I take out snippets and I upload it to to their site ah. uh, because I I don't want to 
give them the context of what I'm working on. No. Uh, I couldn't give my companies information, like anything that has to do with anything. I couldn't upload it. But doing it like that, I sort of get around that because I only use it for non-sensitive stuff. I often think that about Google Translate, how much sensitive stuff is just unthinkingly being copy and pasted into Google Translate and Google are just sucking that up. Yeah. I'm being really careful about all of that stuff. Uh, but I don't know how much it helps. Like the the license that I have from work for, for Microsoft's services, are, I don't know. I, I have no idea how much of that is just sucked up into the cloud and analyzed. Did you, I saw this um, thing about, uh, it's a podcast actually about um, the Chinese state are hoovering up huge amounts of data, you know, creating, you know, breaking into, hacking into different systems. And they, they, they're taking all of this data and, and they know that they can't do anything with it yet. They're just getting as much as they can, wherever they can, knowing that at some point in the relatively near future, they are going to have the technology to be able to go and make sense of this raw data there capturing it's the fact it's being captured not necessarily the fact that the organization who's capturing it can do anything with it now i think that's a key distinction i think often it's being captured maybe and probably not much is being done with it now because they can't really work out how to make use of it but they feel confident that they will be able to in the future how has the the like the, the developments in data with more AI and more classification and better master data has that enabled you yet to create better solutions or is there just a sort of indistinct promise of you being able to create better stuff through design yeah i think first reaction is that many of the products or solutions that I've been involved in designing and developing in the last couple of years have had the promise of AI at its core. So just the the nature of the solutions that are being created are often have AI at its core or heavily optimized through AI. But in reality, I haven't been involved in developing a product or service where AI is actually delivering on that promise. Because I, th- I find that really interesting. I think a lot of service designers could sort of uh, agree with the sentiment of what you just said, that this is one of the things that we get called in to, to investigate and create something out of. How can we use AI to better X? And then it's really difficult to pinpoint where to sort of begin in terms of technology. Yeah. There's lots of potential, isn't there? There's outside of the industrial context, say that project we worked on with the looking at the way a finance team works, so much potential there for automation, AI to, to take out a lot of the legwork that is currently manual. But I think one of the things that holds it back is even if you have, you you. You can demonstrate the value and the need. You can demonstrate the technical feasibility as well. 
but it then becomes an infrastructure choice for the organization, which is often where things slow down. So it then becomes, well, we're a Microsoft organization, we're an Amazon organization. And so the solution then goes into the back of a long line of potential uh, solutions that could be built with that particular technology provider. Whereas if you were kind of completely agnostic about the technology you were using, you just used whatever was most convenient for that particular use case, you could build that individual use case, but you would end up with a product service system that uses different types of technology so it wouldn't come together and you wouldn't get the economies of scale because you'd be paying for something new each time. But maybe reflecting that is one of the, because the technology we can prove definitely involved in things that where desirability is proved. Definitely been involved, can prove business case. Right. And the technology is is feasible. So why isn't it happening? I think I think one of the main reasons I've seen is that choice of technology stack becomes the blocker, and then more importantly, it then enters a massive backlog where there's a lots of other competing use cases. And then by the time it becomes into something actually gets reasonable for it to be done, maybe, you know, the use case isn't such a priority anymore. That's really interesting, like the the, the, the diminishing need for some for a solution because everything moves so quickly now so that if you if you yeah. have a, a project you want to develop something over a couple of years, chances are someone else is gonna do it and do it really well. And it makes more sense for you to buy that product rather than create something on your own. Or the whole workflow changes. So that step in the workflow that was to be optimized just no longer exists anymore because the entire workflow mm. changes. It's it's really easy when working with this type of questions. Uh, you just want to bring in a data scientist and start working on an algorithm and, and prove the business case and make sure that there's... Uh, a desirability aspect, as you say, um, but yeah, the 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 ability to scale a solution like that becomes minuscule because it just isn't optimized for anything. So it would become more of like a research case, I guess. Thinking it through, another thing, another blocker of it is, is that the reality of creating that AI automated solution is that you need uh, manual input initial upfront manual input in order to set the rules to, to, to annotate the data, to kind of use a subject matter expert to set the rules. And that's actually going to be quite a lot of work for a person who's actually really busy. So that's what I think, again, stops it. So there is value in it. It can be done technically, but to get it done, John's going to have to spend the next two weeks giving input into suggested answers. Right. I also find that there's um, a fear of failing when it comes to these projects that sort of inhibit any real exploration. Um, it's so early in the technological development of this that to say that this is definitely going to make money within half a year when we're talking about an AI box of some sort it's just not feasible it's 
in the long run, the upsides could be fantastic for many of the projects that I've seen, but they're not given enough love or attention or time to be feasible. No, and and whether it's, I think you could break it down into two different types of use case, make money or save money. When you're talking about making money from an AI solution, there's so many other things that have to be done. So let's imagine you've solved a technical issue, you get it done, it's working perfectly. You still then have to take go to market with it successfully, promote it successfully, find the right price point, package it properly. So that's another thing I think where you, there might be this focus on, oh, this can we create this money generating AI solution? Well, even if you can, there's a whole heap of other things that the business needs to do in order to actually get that money. And those things aren't easy either. I feel like that should be different and is slightly different when it's about saving money and because it, the AI and automation should, it should be as simple as this removes X hours of currently done manual work, which is worth X dollars an hour. And therefore this is your money saving. So it should be more straightforward with saving, but in terms of making it uh, uh, value generating in terms of bringing in more money. I think that's has so many other things to it. So you're saying basically by stripping away all of the stuff that is needed for commercializing a product, say marketing, sales, all of that stuff, if you remove that and only focus on the technical part of a solution, it becomes more feasible to sort of get it done. Yeah, I, I I think so. Uh, particularly if you're not then caught up in this whole what is our tech stack and making sure that it's the the bigger thinking. But if you were if you were just focused on can we create a technical solution to this, and then we don't worry about the whole wider commercialization, we don't worry about the whole technical structure and architecture that has to sit behind it and is scalable. I think a lot a lot more is potential to be done but talking about it this way you can see why it isn't done because if you're the person signing off the check for this investment to happen you're sat there thinking well even if we get this right is this the right tech stack we go back into this inward looking are we choosing the right technology uh, platforms and then well even if we do get it are my sales team capable of selling this we still need to package it in a way that it is actually profitable. What AI solutions have you been involved in that you you think have been had exciting potential and either have or haven't been brought to market? I've been involved in a lot of like knowledge management stuff, like just huge chunks of experience that people have had it's it's been um really interesting for all from from large companies to to government agencies and and just how much knowledge they have dumped into word documents and it's a mess it's unbelievable how 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 difficult it is to do anything with that there is so much valuable information or at least the hope from the organization that the, the information that they've gathered is valuable but i think the only feasible way 
to to make sense of it and make it valuable is what was up until a couple of years ago seen as magic and that would be a computer going in and sorting out the stuff coming with the recommendations of the tags uh, to make sure that the data is is intelligible uh, for a machine to to read so that you can use other algorithms uh, and and programs to do value-adding stuff like take someone's written down experience and apply that to a new problem i think is the best way to simplify it and to me that's the next step but my hope is that ai is gonna be and i guess there are cms's that promise this already um content management systems that promises that they will take all the data that we have and we drop it into their their black box or their open transparent box and uh, make something good out of it that can be used for other things. But so far, I haven't had any credible experience from that actually working. It's more of a, a sales pitch, and then it turns into a, let's build this together. And to me, that's not really good enough. It's There's, there's a lot of money that goes into all of this information. But I, I hope that we can... I mean, imagine if you had like a, a large government agency and they have all of these processes and experiences and reports and, and everything and you could just drop it into an algorithm and it creates like a mini Wikipedia. That would be fantastic. Uh, so that's that's the thing that I'm hoping for right now. Um, yeah. There's just so much wastage all over the board, isn't there? Things going back to our previous conversation about within even our team we're working in, that every time that a new person comes in, there's a whole new learning process that has to take place. When there could be a bespoke wiki onboarding based on the collective information that is generated over a period of time that develops as things develop and that could be um, provide training and, and get people up to speed with the information straight away. Whereas what is happening now is that each time it's a manual. Somebody has to know which document is interesting for a person that just started. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting thinking slightly different conversation, but thinking about of all of the, all of the present, let's call it all the, digital artifacts, by which I mean Word documents, PowerPoints, slide decks, Miro boards. Of all of those digital artifacts created, say, in 2021, how many of them will still be being used in 2023? How many of them will have had the desired impact of the document by 2023? Or flipping the question the other way, how many of them will just have been a complete, through the lens of 2020-23, a complete waste of time? So this, I, I, I think I would imagine that almost 90% of the digital material created becomes obsolete or was entirely pointless the whole time. I think... You're being a little bit cynical here because I think the value sometimes has to be me doing something and then coming one step further. 
But your argument is really fascinating. Like I'm thinking of a, of a graph. It's just a, an exponential curve and it shows... Yeah, every, you've seen it uh, definitely. It's from the, from the Middle Ages up until the early, up until a hundred years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's static. Like there's no new information created whatsoever. It's not true, obviously, but it's it's more or less. If you look at the whole curve, it just shoots off. It just yeah. becomes this mad dash with information. It would be interesting to sort of from a thought experiment. Following your argumentation, how would that look in terms of useful information? Because it would be mm -hmm. much flatter, but it has much more impact as well. Like, if that useful information starts to double from machine learning, that would be insane in terms of technological advancement. Yeah. Apparently it does once the machines can make use of the data, doesn't it? That's what we're waiting for, that the machines that can make sense of the data and then actually this masses of data does become useful. The bottleneck is the humans who are consuming yeah. the artifacts. But as soon as the artifacts are created for other machines, that's where, the, you know, that's the, uh, what do they call it, the moment where it... The singularity? Yeah, the singularity, yeah. Are you scared? So I see some fairly horrifying potential scenarios that come out of the singularity, but I'm not actually scared of it because it will be what it will be. I'm fairly fatalistic in terms of my own existence. You know, it will be what it will be. World War Three or singularity horror stories. How about you? I, I think. No, I'm 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 uh, I'm at my core. I think I'm a, a really positive person. I think we're gonna be better off when machines take over a lot of our just day to day work. Basically, there's a lot of really harmful stuff that we have to do in order to advance right now, and I think that's gonna change. I do think, however, we have to be meticulous in defining what future we want to live in because we have a decent chance of affecting where we're going to go and that excites me i really want to be a part of that i'm really happy to be alive at this point in time so how do we want to go about this why are we doing this podcast now i'm sort of interviewing you because i think it's kind of a nice thing to talk about there's a few motivations for me i listen to a lot of podcasts around uh, industrial transformation um service design and there is a i would want to listen to this podcast because i don't whilst there are service design podcasts um, and there are industrial transformation podcasts there's nothing bridging these two and the designer ones that are out there are too design centric the industrial transformation ones are too techy uh, or engineering centric so creating something that is sits between those two in terms of designerliness and techiness i think there's a, a niche opportunity there um secondly uh, i think it's a way of clarifying my own thoughts around topics that I'm reading about um, creating something whether it's writing an article or doing a podcast the process of creating it helps me 
makes sense of the things that I'm reading and then makes me helps me make sense but then also enables me to then communicate that more clearly when I'm talking to other people who it's relevant to so the process itself for me I find it uh, like extremely helpful because you're very much a reader you read about service design and industrial transformation industry 4.0 5.0 and I, I generally don't having this talking about this stuff also makes me read up on it and makes me understand the field that I'm working in in a much deeper way this has been designing the robot revolution if you have any questions to us please reach out on LinkedIn and we will try to answer as soon as we can have a great day 